The tour content from now through Lagwa Omer has been generously sponsored by Malki M. Thank you, Malki. June is less than a month away, which means that I'll soon be transitioning into summer writing mode with more Substack articles and fewer recorded shiurim. The bulk of these articles will remain free. However, if you would like to support my Torah and gain access to additional spicy written content, consider becoming a paid subscriber by going to rabbishneweis.substack.com and signing up today. Hello, I'm Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss, and this is the Stoic Jew Podcast, where we explore the relationship between Judaism and Stoicism. Today's reading is a continuation of yesterday's reading, which is from Seneca's letter to his mother, Helvia, uh, titled The Consolation of Helvia. So yesterday we read about his his ruthless uh, attempts to comfort his mother uh, about the fact that he, Seneca, was uh, had been exiled as a punishment for for the alleged uh, allegedly committing adultery with Caligula's sister. Um, and exile was a bad thing, especially back then, and so his mother was grieving. And basically Seneca uh, told her that she had a life of tragedy, you know, she's had plenty of experience with, with, um, with misery and misfortune, and he said that he was going <laughs> to comfort her by first opening up all of her wounds and showing her that she's tough and that she can make it and reminding her that, you know, this is not her, uh, her first time suffering. So he does all of that, and then we pick up at the end of section three. And today I think what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read through this, uh, and it's not, I don't think there's one unifying theme, but uh, there were just some nice ideas I wanted to point out here. So after listing all of the, uh, his mother's afflictions, he says, uh, he again, he's very harsh with her. Away with lamentations and wailing and the noisy agitation expected of bereaved women. You have wasted all those sorrows if they have not taught you to endure misery. My treatment has not seemed timid, has it? None of your afflictions have I glossed over. I have stacked them all before you in a pile. Now, it is interesting. I, I don't know if this is what he means, but when he says away from la- with lamentations and wailing and the noisy agitation expected of bereaved women. So I think that is a a thing that happens sometimes with our emotional reactions is that they're there are certain things that are expected of us and we react that way, not because we actually feel that way, but because it's what is expected of us. And sometimes we don't even realize it. So, you know, obviously the whole approach he's taking in this letter is to try to show that the emotions that she's experiencing are really not warranted given her background and given what he's going to show now, which is the situation, uh, you know, showing that the situation he's in is not so bad. But I think that's a, a point something worthy to point out here that that just because you're feeling an emotion doesn't mean that you're feeling an emotion <laughs> you, know, you might be responding to what is expected of you in society uh and not realize it okay so now he says um after sta- you know i've stacked all of your afflictions before you in a pile i did so resolutely because i determined to conquer your grief not cheat it and conquer it i shall i believe if i demonstrate in the first place that there is nothing in my present situation which would justify my being called unhappy or making my kin unhappy and secondly if i then turn to you and prove that your lot which depends wholly upon mine is not a heavy one okay so that's that's the approach he's going to use very uh very uh cerebral as some would say but you know we just saw him uh, we just saw his, his, his very, very emotional approach, uh, to the first stage. So, you know, don't, don't extrapolate from this one sentence, uh, about Seneca's approach as a whole, cause he's, he, you know, he, he does what's necessary in each situation. Okay. So he says, my first step shall be to declare what, you, what your affection is on edge to hear that I'm not in distress. Okay. Which is what every mom wants to hear. Just that her son is not in distress. I shall demonstrate, if I can, that the circumstances which you suppose crush me are not, in fact, intolerable. And if you find this incredible, I shall at least felicitate myself on being happy under conditions calculated to make people unhappy. So, in other words, he's going to try to show her that uh, that he is not unhappy. Uh, and 
And then he's going to try to show her if she doesn't quite buy that, then he's going to try to show her that um, he can be happy about the situation, about being in a situation that makes others unhappy and um, and, uh, and and not succumb to that himself. OK, there is reason for you to heed what others say about my mood. Sorry, there's no reason for you to, to heed what others say about my mood. To obviate your confusion and uncertainty, I myself declare to you that I am not unhappy. And to give you greater assurance, I add that I cannot even be made unhappy. Okay, so he's going to now talk about how he's invulnerable, okay, with stoic invulnerability. The terms under which we are born would be favorable if we did not play them false. Nature intended that no great equipment should be necessary for happiness. Each of us is in position to make himself happy. Externals have little weight and exert only slight pressure in one direction or the other. The sage is neither elated by prosperity nor depressed by adversity. His endeavor always is to rely mainly on himself and to seek his whole satisfaction from within himself. So that's just a very basic outline of the entire stoic approach to um, to happiness, which is that if you make your happiness dependent on things outside of yourself that you can't control, then you have hitched your wagon to fate and to fortune and you're, you're never going to be happy. Um, and so rather the, the only road to happiness is by focusing on what is within your control and, uh, and, and therefore you'll have everything that you need. Uh, all right. But now this part I really like, okay, this is a side point. Does it, so he just said that the, that the, um, the sage is neither elated by prosperity nor depressed by adversity. So he says, does it follow that I claim to be a sage? Not in the, in the least. If I could make that claim, I should not only be denying that I am unhappy, but vaunting myself the happiest of men, one who had attained nighness to God. But I have put myself in the hands of the sages, which is enough to allay all unhappiness in my present state. Not yet in position to bring up my own reserves, I have taken refuge in the camp of others, of those to wit who guard themselves and their partisans with ease. It is they who have bidden me to keep steadfast watch as on a sentry post and to forestall fortunes every sally or attack in force long before it occurs. Her assault is formidable only when it comes as a surprise. It is sustained with ease if one is on, always on the alert for it. Even an enemy onset confounds only those it takes unexpectedly. Those who are prepared for war can easily parry the initial charge, which is the most violent. Okay, so I actually read two points there. So the first point was, after talking about how a sage th take thing, takes things, he says, am I a sage? No, of course I'm not a sage. If I were a sage, I would be totally happy. All I am is someone who has put myself in the hands of the sages, which is enough to allay all unhappiness in my present state. And he's saying he's taking camp with those sages. So in other words, I really like this idea that there are two levels here. There is the level of the actual sage who has attained perfection. Okay, however you define that. And then there's the the person who has um, uh, aligned himself with the sages and is not quite there yet, but is on his way. And I, you know, I think these are, I think this is reflected in uh, something I wrote a blog post on a while ago about what the the when you see the abbreviation uh in in hebrew tafches i think most people would say it's, it's talmid chacham or talmide chachamin uh which talmid chacham people translate as a wise student but if you look in the the authoritative mishnah torahs now I, again i don't know if the ramam used an, uh, an abbreviation so i don't know if this is like the rambam's actual view or if this is just something that the people who publish this ramam do so they'll say for not Talmid Chacham, but Talmid Chachamim. And once you have Talmid Chachamim, so then Chacham is no longer an adjective. In other words, Talmid Chacham is now an adjective, right? A student uh, who is wise. Um, 
according to my understanding of grammar. But Talmid Chachamim means a student of the wise. Does not necessarily mean that you are wise, but then again, the fact that you are a student of the wise means something, you know? Um, and uh, and this is something that I, um, that I, I don't know, I, I guess I haven't talked about this so much. Have I? I'm trying to remember if I did any episodes about this. I don't know. A lot of a uh, lot of grappling with my own uh, identity these days in in terms of my relationship to teaching and my students and my yeshiva, you know. And one of the one of the uh, one of the things I've been struggling with is this constant feeling of uh, of imposter syndrome, uh, of like not I you know not not feeling up to par with my uh, you know the other you know rabbim who uh, who, who I learned from and who I teach with. And I think that this category is a very useful one because I, I, uh, I might not be a Talmud Chacham, but I am a Talmud Chachamim. You know, I, I definitely uh, am someone who has put myself in the camp of the Chachamim to learn from them. Uh, and that's, that is reality. And that's something that you can feel good about. And, you know, I, I, I think it's, you know, it's definitely, you're, well, as Seneca is going to argue, you're going to be better off. And, uh, and, you know, it's, it's a step in the right direction. Um, the second point Seneca made was something I, I, I talked about yesterday. Yesterday, I couldn't remember the term. Premeditatio malorum is, is um, oh, so that's funny. Now I can't remember the translation. <laughs> Give me one second. Let me just look up yesterday's episode again. I put it in the in the show notes. Premeditatio malorum, the premeditation of evils. Oh, obviously that makes sense. Um, is trying to anticipate ahead of time what could go wrong and emotionally and mentally preparing yourself for it so that when it comes, it's not a surprise. Um, and uh, it's the surprise that really hurts more and also causes you to make bad decisions in reaction to it. So now Seneca goes on, never have I trusted fortune, even when she seems to be at peace. All her generous bounties, money, office, influence, I deposited where she could ask them back without disturbing me. Myself, I kept detached and remote from those bounties. And so fortune has merely taken them away, not wrested them from me. No one is crushed by adverse fortune who has not first been beguiled by her smile. Only those who become enamored of her gifts as if they were her, their own forever and expect deference because of them are prostrated by grief when the deceitful and ephemeral baubles abandon empty and childish minds ignorant of every abiding satisfaction. So I read this and I kind of had a shudder of, of oh no, <laughs> because, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of us had this kind of rude awakening uh, when the pandemic hit, you know, and, and as I mentioned before, I lost my job. I lost my, the school, the school that I taught at for 10 years closed you know, and, um, and, uh, I lost that and I, you know, thank God have, uh, have, uh, you know, I'm in a, a better situation now than I was before, but I feel already as things return to normal, that it is, um, that I might be prone to making the same mistake with the current situation. And I think that's, it's human to do that, you know, is to fall back into the status quo and take things for granted again. But man, it would be a real waste if we, went through that whole pandemic and had all those unexpected losses and, and things, and then didn't learn from it. So, um, I got to work on that and think about that. Um, so I, I, I have a feeling that, you know, I don't know, this paragraph is very important to return to. All right. Last paragraph for today, but the man who is not inflated by prosperity does not collapse under adversity. The man of tested constancy keeps a spirit impregnable, impregnable to either condition in the midst of felicity. He knows his own proper Sorry, he knows his own power to meet adversity. I have therefore never believed that any true good inherit, inhered in the things men commonly pray for. I have found them empty and daubed with specious and cheating colors, with no inner content to match their outward show. And in my present state, which is called evil, I find none of the fearless fearfulness and deprivation which vulgar opinion threatened. The conventional attitude gives the world gives the word exile a harsh sound in our ears. 
and it strikes the listener as something gloomy and accursed, so have the people decreed. But the decrees of the people are in large measure repealed by the sages. So that's a nice little tie-in from the beginning of his uh, of you know uh, of what we started reading today about how he was saying that his mom might be you know behaving in the way that bereaved mothers are supposed to behave, as opposed to re- really reacting to what she actually feels or what the reality is. And here he's saying also, you say exile, and and people consider that to be a uh, an evil and uh and gloomy and accursed and he's saying no that's not how he regards it because he never viewed his his standing and his position as something that was really his he viewed it as something that was given to him by fortune and that fortune could take away and so it's not like you said it's not going to be something that has to be wrested from his hands it's just something that he's giving back um which ties into an episode that we did uh last week i believe okay so those uh i, I don't know wh- whether i'm going to continue this i've been reading it a little bit day after day and uh I, I skipped some parts but you know good stuff so far so that's all i have to say for today uh that is it for today's episode if you've gained from what you've learned here today and would like to support my production of even more Torah content please consider contributing to my patreon at www.patreon.com slash rabbi link is in the description thank you to the uh i got a couple of recent uh patrons and um, and P- and there were also certain people who increased the amount that they had been donating each month. So um, thank you to to you. You know who you are. I'm I'm going to do what I usually do and announce them at the uh, in the beginning of the month. But thank you to my listeners for listening, and thank you to my patrons for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.